0: Come to you this morning, asking that through your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from you, in your Word today, those things that will strengthen our walk, cause our witness to be more evident, and that we might just glorify you in the world today, tomorrow, and the rest of the, our lives, Lord. Uh, we desire to be strengthened and, and and drawn close to you and close together as a family of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Taking a little detour out of the book of Romans this morning, uh, into the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We, uh, as we approach in that section of the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, where we start to talk about the gifts of the of the Spirit. uh, Last week, you know, we decided to last week start a a little bit of a, I guess you could call them an an int. a parenthesis almost, uh, uh, to, to focus on the Holy Spirit in the sense of who the Holy Spirit is, the work that he does, this type of thing. Last week, we focused on the reality. The Holy Spirit is God, the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father revealed in Christ the Son everywhere present through his Holy Spirit and, and establishing that when the Holy Spirit speaks, God has spoken. Uh, the scripture is God breathed, Spirit inspired. We say several references and so the big focus of anything else that you, you would grasp this last week was that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is he, with a capital H. And that it's not something that you just get a little bit of when you get saved and then you get a little bit more as you get more saved or sanctified or however you want to put that. You know, The Holy Spirit comes and then dwells in fullness in you. That is the, the point in time the Holy Spirit... Uh, fills you in the sense of baptism of the Spirit, if you want to call it that, and, and you have all the Holy Spirit you are ever going to have at the point of salvation. Well, somebody says, well, then well, how come I keep saying, like in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit, with that idea of ongoing filling. The idea really is, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit at that time is surrendering more of you to the Holy Spirit. In other words, him having more control of you. So when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he's in control, not you. That's the idea. And that's an ongoing battle. We're up and down with that. And that's why we're encouraged to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the focus that I want to look on right now is is the work of the Holy Spirit. And there are several places I could have started. But I uh, chose uh, John chapter 16 uh, just as a a starting place to, to point out what he is here to do. John chapter sixteen, uh, starting with the seventh verse, and uh, he says, uh, John writes, "Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment." Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Starts The, the scripture where I pick up starts off, nevertheless. And once you see something like that, or therefore, or because of, it drives you to keep things into context, I hope. And, and so you're going to read what nevertheless meaning he said something and he's summing it up in some way. So we, it draws us to go backwards a little bit. And uh, in verse, uh, really, this is the the discourse, if you will, the, 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 of, of the upper room where Jesus is, is you know, chapter 14, 15, 16, Uh, 17 are tied together in in Jesus uh, sharing with his disciples. And in chapter 14 and 15, Jesus has been saying things in reference to, uh, for instance, that the Holy Spirit is going to come. Jesus refers to him as the comforter, the spirit of truth, the helper. The helper is the, the one who comes alongside to strengthen, support, encourage, direct, this type of thing, and he also calls him the teacher. He will teach you all things and, and bring to remembrance the things that, that you have seen in me and heard in me. And in the midst of all of that, he, tie, he brings out a warning that the world is going to hate them. So as he's talking about the, the he's going to lead, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and then he says, and the world is going to hate you, because the world has hated me. And so he very specifically puts it into a a picture. If you follow me, the world is not going to embrace you. The world is not going to like you. The world is going to reject you. And this hate could be anywhere from uh, a a mild persecution, if you will, to to, uh, martyrdom. And so... This is what he, he goes on and points out at the beginning of chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. In other words, as this pressure comes on, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is going to be there to strengthen you, to comfort you. you, you know, I want you to rest in that confidence. You don't have to worry. Uh, you're not you know. I want you to know all of this so that, that you don't step back and think, gee, is, what's going on here? Is this going to work out? Uh, is it all over? And, of course, we still know that they wrestled with that until... They they really experienced and, and walked in the resurrection, and even then they 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 didn't fully understand. Even on the day that he ascended, they made that comment, "Hey, are we going to go into Jerusalem now?" <laughs> and he said, "No, you're going but you are going to go back. You're going to wait until the Holy Spirit comes." But coming back to this picture, he is uh, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, of of concern for them in this sense that. You know, he's giving them hope and assurance in the midst of what is going to happen to them. Uh, He gives them a brief picture in in chapter 2, again, of, of what's going to happen. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Every Christian that embraced Christ was out. And indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Do we know anybody in Scripture that follows that? Paul. Perfect picture of what Paul did. You know that Paul was standing there as uh, Stephen was being executed, as he was being stoned to death. He was the man holding the coats as they went into it. And he was fully in harmony with what was going on. And, of course, the beginning of the church being persecuted through him was he pursued them all over Judea and even out of the area uh, to, to bring them, as he was thinking, to, to justice and trying to, to crush a cult in his mind. And then the road to Damascus changed everything. I was looking at this, though, you know, we, there's two, he said, put out of the synagogue and then the next extreme, or even put to death, there's a myriad of things in between that, that did happen then, and, and happens today as well. Uh, I don't know if any of you have experienced, uh, uh, for me, coming to Christ as, as an adult, uh, there, was a, there was a rapid change in some of my friendships. Uh, there was one friend, uh, uh, whose home, Kathy and I, uh, were no longer welcome in. They, he, his wife had become a Christian and he forbade her to, you know, she was not allowed to go to church and any, no Christians were allowed to come to the home. And, uh, when we became uh, saved, he, he just, he looked at us as, as, something that would, would, would cause more friction in their home. And, uh, he told us point blank the next time you're up here, please don't call on us. So that was, and that was pretty hard because he's something that i had been very close to. He was not, though, really rejecting me. He was rejecting Christ because I embraced him. I embraced Christ. He says in verse 3 of chapter 16, he says, they, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And I thought, uh, uh, again, this picture of, of the Hebrew people thinking they're embracing God because of their uh, idea of, of, Well, I was born a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. And Jesus, in chapter 8 of John, I point this out very uh, over and over again, but in chapter 8, verses 42, 45, 6, 7, he speaks very directly to them. And he tells them, he said, if in, in, a, in a nutshell, he basically says, if you reject me, you're rejecting who Abraham was looking forward to and the promise, you're rejecting the father. Your father is not, the, is not God. Your father is the devil. Very specific statement that he made. Uh, He says the reason why they're doing these things, the reason why there's persecution, the reason why all of this happens is because they do not know me. They do not know the father. And then he tells them in verse 4, I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Uh, just that picture of of saying, as they start to occur, they'll have that comment saying, I know that Jesus said this. And some people think, well, he'll know, they'll know about the persecution. As it happens, they'll say, "Well, yeah, Jesus predicted. But what he's really focusing on here is that you'll also remember what else I've said. That I'm going to give you strength, I'm going to give you comfort, I'm going to bring the helper to you, alongside you. The Holy Spirit will be there, not only dwelling with you, but in you. goes on to say in verse 5 that he's going to go to him who sent me. And he says in verse 6, what I'm saying to you is causing you great sorrow. The sorrow fills your heart. Nevertheless. So all of this coming up, he says, nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. After hearing all of this and even these last verses, he says, but I'm going to the Father. I know this fills your heart with sorrow. But nevertheless, what I'm telling you is to your advantage. How many times have we told, uh, I'm thinking of fathers today. How many times as fathers have we told our sons something or our daughters something and we're saying, I know this is hard to take, but this is the best for you, to your advantage, if you will, with the idea of of knowing that that either a discipline or a difficult way to have to step back and look at something and we'll say, but this is to your advantage. Um, It's hard to think of how uh, persecution and even martyrdom can be to our advantage. But he's saying, those are the things that happen for following me. He said, the real advantage comes because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you part of your life, walking with you, in you, with you. My Going away is an advantage. If I don't go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. I emphasize to you. Keep that in mind. It will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. Okay, so it, uh, this is important. He has sent the Holy Spirit, and who does he send them to? To the disciples, and I believe ultimately in that picture, with the context of other things that he puts in here, to the church, to the believer. The Holy Spirit is sent to—we'll say at this point—to the church, the believer, uh, to come alongside, to help, and to encourage, to to comfort. That's important to catch because of the next verse. When he comes, who? The Holy Spirit. When he comes, who is he coming to? To the disciples. When he comes, we could put in there, to you. He's already established. That's where the Holy Spirit is coming. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Some people look at this and they say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come out and and he's the one that's going to convict the world out here of, of righteousness and sin and judgment. It's not what he says here. Not directly. He's going to come to the disciples and because he has come to them, to you, because he has come to them, now the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it through them. Does that make? I hope, I hope that makes sense to you because I, that's the, 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 what the, the grammar does here, is it, it puts it in that that picture. When he comes to you, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit does not come to the world; he comes to the disciples, the church, to the believers. The Holy Spirit works through the church, the believers, the disciples, to bring light into darkness and therefore has an effect on the world. The idea of bringing light into darkness is something that John deals with very early on in the the gospel, and he focuses on it in a very specific way in chapter 3. In verse 19 he says, and this is the judgment, the light, has come into the world. Who is he referring to? Christ has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because the works were, their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. There is a sense of conviction that surrounds Christ, surrounds the church, when people come in, there's a sense of conviction that comes on them. It's not a conviction unto salvation specifically, although it can lead that way. It's a conviction that uh, I'm not doing the best I can, or I maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe it's even the idea is they look at you or they look at me, and they'll turn around and say, oh, what a self-righteous jerk. There are some people that look at us that way. We say there's only one way to be saved. People will say that's very narrow-minded. We say that uh, uh, the gender issues today are spoken clearly in the Bible and that uh, homosexuality uh, is a sin. And there are people that look at us and say, again, how narrow-minded and unloving and uncaring and unchristian we are. And that's because as you bring light, what happens is that you're bringing bringing an understanding of what sin is, and you're doing it by revealing the righteousness of God and, and the holiness of God through the church. How do we do that? Well, first off, we have a set of absolutes. We have position, for instance. We have an absolute and a, a doctrinal statement that says, you know, there is only one God in, in three persons—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that the Bible is the only source of, 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 of the information of knowing God, it, and, it, and it's that it's God breathed, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. There, we just can go on and on and on of the things that we hold as statement or tenets of faith. And as we say those things, and as we look at those things, people hear that, and they will either look at us and come towards us, or they will go away from us. Not too long after I was saved, I went to a New Year's Eve celebration and found that uh, because we no longer participated in the way we had prior in the sense of the, uh, our, we, felt, we felt out of place. But it was obvious that when I would walk into the room, other people fell out of place, too. They didn't know what to do, what to say. Uh, it was kind of like, uh, well, we can't tell that story, or we can't say those words, or whatever. And I respect the idea that at least they, they knew and were finding out that there were some things that were changing in me. There was some light coming into the darkness an understanding, at least from my perspective, something that is is sin, and it convicted them enough that they they felt awkward saying it around me. And in a lot of cases, not wanting to be in that position anymore. It's funny when I show up to a a family dinner, a lot of our family, the majority are unsaved, and uh, Kathy and I know that that, uh, uh, whenever we have a family gathering, the only time prayer is said is when I'm there. And, and it was, it's, it's that sense of, I don't know whether trying to include us, or, or, uh, but a sense of, oh, this is important to them. A sense of light is still shining there. So the light comes into the world. The light is the gospel, by the way, the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, his love of God, the love of God that he brings to us and puts in us. And it exposes Sin. By establishing, again, what is righteous, what is holy, what is right. Uh, And establishing also that because sin is against God, because there is a set of standards that are absolute, and when they're violated, that there is a need for judgment. But it's an interesting thing, because some people look at us and say, but you claim to be out from underneath that judgment. How... Holier than thou can you get. Well, that's really not the way you know it is. The reason why I'm out from underneath the judgment is because I've come into submission to Jesus Christ. Because I have been saved, because I have the blood of Christ covering me, because he paid my price. He finished it on the cross. I thought out of the picture of, 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 of uh, this idea of sin and righteousness and judgment, uh, I thought, what does the world hate the most when it looks at the church? I thought, well, they hate the whole package. They don't want to see the Ten Commandments. They don't want to see the Bible at, 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 even carried in, in a lot of schools. Uh, there are schools in the state of California that have taken the position that if you 're a pastor you cannot well you cannot go on to the school campus as a pastor. You can go onto to the school campus as a, a, a representative of the family for some child if, if that 's on record there, but as the pastor, if a child is having a difficulty or a problem and they ask for their pastor, you can 't go on the campus as a pastor um, And, and, and so this, this rejecting of, the, of Christianity as a whole. But I'm looking at this. What, what, does, what drives the package of, of pointing out what sin is and the, 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 the reality that there's a judgment is the holiness of God? We are declaring there is a holy God who has set a standard of holiness and right and that he requires that we abide by that. That puts everybody under the curse, everybody under the judgment. All have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. The only solution is that God must intervene. And before the foundation of the world, we read in Ephesians this morning, he did. Before it ever started, he intervened. He had the plan of salvation in place. Only salvation for man is through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Looking back again at John chapter 3, you know, light has come into the darkness, it exposes sin. The world loves darkness. Why? Why does the world love the darkness? Because it cloaks sin, it finds a way of explaining sin away. What's the term we use in, the, in, in, in uh, secularism today that's in most of our schools? We call it situation ethics. What is a lie one time will be the appropriate same thing to say the next time based on the situation. There is no constant standard in reference to what is true, fixed, and absolute. There are none. That's the darkness. That, that's what they want to be. They hate the light. I put in here for my notes, I just thought, you know, you know the world loves to see Christians fall. I, you know, when it, whenever a, 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 a Christian leader, especially, uh, falls in, in sin, you see uh, uh, a really big move into the media, and they just jump all over it and take it for wherever they can go with it. And I thought it's interesting. They, they they love to see the fall, but what the world hates, I think equally, is seeing them forgiven and restored. And it's kind of interesting. pastor takes a fall. I'm thinking of one very personal relationship and a friend where it was made a big deal of, but... He and his wife were restored. He was eventually restored to ministry after a period of time. And there's no news about that. I don't know which now they hate more. They do. They 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 like they, they, which they want. You know, they, they want to see the fall. But man, they don't want to talk about restoration. They don't want to talk about forgiveness because if they do, they, they see that there's a process here of of how God's work is, and it's a message of the gospel. And they hate our confidence in eternity. What's the the phrase that I grew up hearing, and and I still hear it now and then? Pie in the sky. That's the wishful thinking. The world does see the light of the church, especially when we're working out the gospel in our lives. They don't see it because we're perfect, by the way. But they do see our convictions, our absolutes, our doctrine. They see our failures, and yet they turn around and see within the framework of the family of God there is forgiveness, mercy, grace, and love. If those things aren't there, then we're we're doing something wrong. Especially this picture of love. is supposed to be the picture that, that reveals us to the community around us that we are of Christ. Jesus said it very specifically to John. He says in John, uh, in chapter 13, he says, they're going to know you by your love and how you treat one another. In fact, in Matthew 5, he says they're even going to see you as different because of the way you love your enemies and how you treat those situations. So I looked at this and I was thinking, what is it that that is the most likely thing to shed the light of God into the world through the church? And I realized that this is what Paul focuses on in two places. One is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he speaks about love. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I believe that those, you know, I'm one of the people that says those are all the manifestations of the fruit of the spirit, love. It doesn't say fruits of the spirit. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, and I believe those are the manifestations, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When people start seeing that kind of activity in a world that is self-centered, see, that's all other-centered. They look at it, and and at least some people are going to say, why do you do that? Why are you that way? Why are you so forgiving? Why are you so giving? Why are you so uh, patient? Why are you? And Peter says those are the opportunities to share your testimony. We actually can see the light coming into the world on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit Working through the, the the disciples, preaching the Word of God to a very large crowd. I believe it was substantially larger than three thousand, but three thousand of them did see the light and embraced it. The rest of them basically thought, you know, gosh, I think the disciples might even be drunk, I'm not sure." Uh, but uh, 3,000 of them embraced the gospel to the point where they said you pierced my heart what was it to do to be saved righteousness was revealed the gospel was revealed sin was exposed the gospel was offered and 3,000 received it I don't know if any of you are or how many of you are familiar with Sinclair Ferguson uh that's a, it's a relatively new person in, in my reading list and, and listing list uh, over the last uh, few years, in his name in an article at one point and liking what I had read there and looking him up. You'll find him on Monergism uh, as a, a regular expositor there. But he, he talked about this idea that the world doesn't like, and, and that is, is that we don't like the, the world. Just it runs away. It doesn't want to deal with guilt in any way doesn't want to have anything to do with it, We're, we, period. And it says, he says, if you never feel guilty, you'll never experience forgiveness. The Holy Spirit has come into the world to bring light. That light brings conviction or, or, uh, or uh, exposing sin in such a way that if God opens your eyes to it and you can see it, you'll see, oh, this is my sin and actually come to a point of confession. The world does not want to deal with that. They don't want them to hear it. So the Holy Spirit comes to the believer, to the church. He works in and through us to bring light into darkness. This has an effect on the world. A few are attracted. Most turn away. But not without some sense of conviction. Normally when they turn away, it's because... They have come to a conviction and conclusion a thought about sin and righteousness and judgment and they just don't want to deal with it and you bring it into the room with you. And I realized as I was putting this all together, what is it the world really wants to do? They just would like to forget about Jesus. Just kind of sweep it away and never have to address it again. In fact, they ask us as Christians, please, just keep it inside the doors of your church. We don't bring it out outside the doors of your church. Don't bring it anywhere with you. Uh, you know, that's,, that's uh, you know, too narrow and, 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 and unkind. And uh, I recall when, uh, when we were gathering resources to go to uh, Mexico for a medical mission, uh, one person says, well, are you guys going to be preaching the gospel down there? And I said, absolutely. They said, well, then we're not going to help you. And they said, we don't. And this was from a, a person who was in a church. They said, we don't have the right to proselyte anybody. If they have a belief, you just leave them alone. He says, if you were just going to go down and do medicine, that would be fine. But if you're going to preach the gospel, no way. world would like to forget about Christ. They would just like to put him under the carpet and leave him there. But the Holy Spirit will not allow this to happen, period. By working in and through the believer in the church, the world is going to constantly be having to deal with the light of Christ, the gospel message, as long as the church is here as long as the Holy Spirit is working through us, as long as the Holy Spirit is active in this way, there is going to be the exposure of light into darkness. Period. Uh, I've heard some people say, well, if we don't get our act together, that you know, the the you know, the gospel message is going to just die on the vine or something like that. The Holy Spirit's never going to allow that to happen. He's always going to raise up a group of people, even if it's only 7,000. There will always be those that will be his faithful God's faithful, and preaching and teaching what sin, righteousness, and judgment is. And it's never going to be out of the picture. They'd like to see it disappear, and the more the Holy Spirit seems to, to, the more the light seems to come, the more intense seems to be the opposition. But we cannot, you know, push that out either. God has called each of us to be a part of that picture in our businesses in our business practices in our work in the workplace our work ethic all of the different places we go we are to do it in such a way that God is revealed in us thinking is a, a way of looking at this as far as God working it with the Holy Spirit through us. it says he will glorify me Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will glorify him for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the Father has is mine therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you and our responsibility is to take that he then says and declare it to the world go out into the world make disciples baptize and and, and teach For this to happen, for, this to, for the gospel to be uh, something that could be accomplished, it required Christ and his sacrifice. And as we move into communion, uh, I'd like to share with you what, what one of the pictures that I see that uh, is so powerful. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the picture of what happens when you yield to the light. Record of our trespasses is forgiven. The debt is taken care of. Its legal demands are satisfied. What are the legal demands of our debt? Our death is satisfied in Christ. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Ask the ushers to come and to uh, uh, pass the communion to all of us. Uh, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together.
1: brow they show me how you bore so much shame to love me when the heavens pass away do all your scars they still in your feet, they tell me how much you love me. The thorns on your brow, they show me how you pour so much shame to love me. When the heavens pass away, all your stars they still remain. And forever they will say Just how much you love me So I want to say Forever my love Forever my heart Forever my life is yours Forever my love Forever my heart Forever my love Heart, forever my life is yours. Forever my love, forever my heart,
0: forever
1: my life is yours. It's yours.
0: When we share in communion, we're acknowledging. That we have come to the light, that we have received the gospel, that we understand that we have sinned, there is a righteous standard that we have fallen short, and that we deserve to be judged. But we also come when we understand as we have received Christ and we receive that He sacrificed His body and poured out His blood as we rest in His grace and what He has purchased for us, having paid our penalty, we realize that we can rest with confidence there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. What an awesome thing to know. In the midst of all the things that are going on in the world around us, that we can rest with confidence no matter what the circumstances around us are. The price has been paid. The life has been given. The covers are dead we can rest with Christ's words on the cross. It is finished. Nothing to bring to it. Nothing to add to it. Jesus shared on the night of his betrayal, the day before his crucifixion, the night before, two symbols to recognize for all time until he comes again, he said, that would be symbols that would remind us of what he has done for us the broken bread that he'd shared with the disciples after giving thanks. He said, this is my body, broken for you. He asked us as often as we would share this, that we would do it in remembrance of him. The Gospels tell us that at the end of the meal, he took the cup of wine, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't hold it up, something like this, and Noel might not have been transparent, knowing the content, saying, this is my blood poured out for you to purchase that covenant. And he's referring to this covenant of grace that takes care of our sins eternally, forever, when we rest in him. And he asked us to do this as often as we do you know, and until he comes again. Father, again we come to your table rejoicing knowing that it is only through you that we can come here. Through your grace, your mercy, your love. And as we do, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal in our hearts uh, those things that uh, are short of, of what you want in our lives. That we would yield to you and ask, Lord, that you would bring strength to walk for you, be a witness for you, a testimony for you of your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you again for the opportunity to gather this morning to worship, to praise, to open your word, to break bread together. We ask, Lord, that you would go with all of us now as we leave this place, uh, causing us, Lord, to be prepared, as instructed by Peter, to give a testimony whenever asked what it is that we believe in and why. Cause our lives to be something that will reveal your presence in us, that people will see the difference and ask and give us the boldness to share in Jesus' name.